over the course of human history. There's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents... Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Wow, this is a special day and a very special week of our animal welfare segment for a number of reasons. But first off, Nancy... Say it ain't so, say it ain't so, but I think it is so. Today is National Cat Day? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. What does that mean for you? Because people refer to you when they don't remember your name and they're talking to me like today in a number of places. How's your wife, the cat lady, doing? (laughs) Well, I mean, it was kind of similar to pretty much every day I have here with the cats because it was just a lot of attention paid to them and... You know, a little extra attention. I mean, it was a, it was it was a good day to be, I guess, a little bit indoors because it was cold and and rainy out. So you know, they appreciated some extra attention. Now, you grew up in Bohemia. When I was out in Huntington at the Paramount Theater for the two man show of Bill O'Reilly and uh, Sid Rosenberg, and it, it exceeded all expectations because they didn't talk politics. They talked about where they grew up. A lot of people came up to me from Suffolk County. And they said, oh, I hear Nancy grew up in Bohemia. And they mentioned the name of a high school that is like a tongue twister to me. What, what high school did you go to? Uh, well, um, Kennequat. Uh, Kennequat? No, Kennequat High School. And that's a huge high school, they were telling me. Yeah, it, it's, um, it's actually um, a great location. It was right down the block from where I I lived, so I didn't have to take a bus there. I could walk, which was great because in Long Island, if you don't have a car, you you can't get anywhere. But unfortunately, because you can walk, it also leads to during nice days, changing your mind when you're halfway there about going to school. Ah. (laughs) That's one of the downsides. But when you were in Bohemia, you had dogs and cats. When did it occur to you that you wanted to focus just on taking care of cats. Well, I mean, that came when I moved into into the city. When I moved into Brooklyn, um, I mean, and it started with actually the first uh, group of uh, cats that I started taking care of. I mean, it, it. I mean, it was a few months before I actually noticed that the volume of cats that uh, lived outdoors outside, because they're so you know um, adept at hiding from people. And it just started with me one day, I mean, I actually remember one day walking home on New Year's Eve, seeing a cat and thinking, oh, this this cat's so cute, and, you know, getting a can of food just to feed to it. And then it started, oh, the next day I fed the cat again, and eventually the cat came to, to find me, but then I realized how many cats there were living outdoors. Like, I was actually blown away how many there are just hiding throughout the city. Were you aware at that point in your life the difference between the domestic cats uh, in uh, living in uh, homes and the feral cats, which will only live outdoors? 
No, no. It, I mean, it certainly took me some time um, to really put together all the pieces of what was going on. Um, you know, whether they were abandoned cats or, um, again, like to your point, like the idea of like what they call feral cats, where they they're born outdoors. Um, it also took me a while to realize, you know, like oh, without being owned, um, if they weren't someone's cat. I mean, a lot of them also, you know, people have domestic cats that they think nothing of having indoor outdoor. But the idea of them being fixed, so it was when I started feeding, um, you know, sort of this one stationary group of cats that after, you know, a bit of time, I realized, you know, how quick it was for them to procreate. And then I realized, oh, that's where the, the problem comes in. There's just no organization in fixing them. So, you know, then it all started to come together. And, you know, when I started looking into it, it was just amazing how many people are actually out there taking care of them. It's just there's so little attention given to this. And, you know, the more I looked into it, the more I realized there's so many volunteers, more than probably anything else I could think of. Well, many of those volunteers tend to be women, 55 plus, yet you were very young when you started this. Uh, What was the reaction of people in your neighborhood when they saw that every day you were feeding cats, some of whom didn't like cats? I mean, you know, like, uh, obviously there's the the mixed reaction. Um, There's this element of people, you know, feeling as though, you know, like you're bringing them there, like they're your cats, you know, as opposed to realizing that, you know, like they just exist within the neighborhood, but now they're, you know, accustomed to seeing you in relation to them. So, you know, I mean, like I said, I think there's a number of people who, when they did have initially um, sort of that visceral reaction, when I stopped to explain what it was, there's ways to explain it where, you, you let them know, like, even if you're not um, really interested in uh, fostering or helping this, you know, population of animals that live outdoors that really do need your help, I'm actually keeping the population down by what I'm doing, and I'm keeping it a cleaner environment, and in the absence of me doing it, they're just going to be uh, continuing to procreate and doing a lot of behavior that you probably don't want, like spraying and things like that. So once you start to explain it like that, even if they don't like the cats, they understand that you're doing a benefit to them. So, you know, it works out if you can just talk to them for a few minutes. And uh, what was it like when you came to know that in your neighborhood at Sunset Park, like in other neighborhoods, there were persons or a individual person who actually would torture, beat, and kill cats? Uh, well, I mean, it, 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 it's a horrible thing to be aware of obviously you know you don't know uh, a situation where you would know the person who did it I mean that would be a whole another story but um, you know it's certainly not uncommon unfortunately that you know people uh, you know do a lot of weird things to the cats I mean including you know just treating them as you know any sort of pests though so that you know I mean I, I rescued a number of uh, young kittens that I thought, oh, you know, just because they were young, maybe they were injured, and it turned out that, you know, they were poisoned because, you know, people put down uh, indiscriminately bait for that purpose, knowing that they had uh, kittens there just to get rid of them, and then, you know, it just poisons them from the inside. So, I mean, you know, there's just a lot of cruel um, ways that people go about dealing with having them on the outside, and unfortunately, there's they're always trespassers wherever they are, and it's really not... Anything they can't do anything about it, so that's the problem. I mean, so 
Well, it is National Cat Day, so uh, make sure you celebrate to the uh, break of dawn (laughs) with all of our kitties and all of our adult cats and especially the patriarch Apollo and the matriarch uh, Athena. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Now, on the flip side of that, we've had discussions about Australia. And how, for some reason, it's the size of the United States. People don't realize Australia is a continent, but it really is the size of the United States. So if you go from Sydney and Brisbane, it's like going on the East Coast from New York and Washington, D.C., over to L.A., which is where Perth is. They, they, one, at one point, they, they killed all their feral cats, and now they've created a killing machine to be rolled out to kill cats? What what is their obsession with killing cats? You know what? I, like I actually, so I started looking into what is actually going on specifically in Australia, and it turns out that there's been this big push since 2020 because of all the bushfires that happened. So you know, obviously there was um like a lot of environmental damage, and then also a lot of um, damage with uh, different, you know, sort of smaller level species. So what happened is there became this focus on all feral populations. So any type of animal that was able to more or less survive uh, survive in, you know, sort of mass numbers following this has almost become like a target of Australia. Like they're destroying everything else because the smaller, you know, volume animals that were able to exist, they're not able to, you know, overcome these larger populations. So unfortunately included within that is cats, as you mentioned, but also like deer, pigs, foxes. And so what they've been doing, um, one of the recent initiatives they have is with uh, this um, overriding uh, deer population. So they're saying that, well, we're going to start, I'm sorry, feral horses, (laughs) feral horses. So they're going to start shooting them, uh, aerial shootings. Now they've done this before and unfortunately, it's, you know, as you can imagine, it's very indiscriminate. And it, it left a lot of, um, you know, halfway injured animals and dying animals. And it, it created, um, you know, a pretty big PR mess. So, but now what they have is this, uh, it's called a Felixer device. This is related to killing of the feral cats. So what it does is it's almost like these little bait traps that are uh, planted all throughout. Now imagine it's 600 to 800,000 bait traps. So it's not just a few. I mean, this must be like a total eyesore on the, the, the parks. But what it does is it detects the shape of a cat, supposedly just a cat. Um, nothing else would get uh, caught in the crosshairs. It sprays poisons onto them. And then when they walk away and they have the poison on their body and they have to clean themselves eventually, they'll die from the toxin. So this is their genius plan about how to get rid of this uh, feral cat population. Now, the Aussies, I I must tell you, you've never been in Australia. I've been there twice. I've had guardian angels there. They were a a weird breed. It started as a prison colony for England. They enjoy Vegemite as sort of marmalade. It is the most disgusting craft product that was ever made. They couldn't sell it in the United States. The Aussies can't get enough of it. It's sort of like, oh, my God, Vegemite. And this is the second time that they've tried to eliminate all the feral cats. Now, the last time they tried this, they killed all their feral cats. 
And then they had a rat population explosion that that ended up going into their major cities. I mean, and, and again, it, it is it is kind of like this element of once again humans interjecting, you know, their their expertise into the situation. Like, I mean, they're acknowledging the environment's changing, and they're trying to preserve what they're saying didn't subsist in the you know the changes that are happening. So, I mean, maybe that should be taken as a sign that. These are the creatures that are meant to ride out the wave of what's going on. And like they're trying to play around with nature. I don't really know if they know enough to make that, that call. Well, they failed once. <laughs> they killed all the feral cats, and then they had an explosion of rats. Now the feral cats are back, and you would think they would leave well enough alone. But they're not. And that brings us to the rat situation. Always the nemesis of Eric Adams. He's afraid of them. He's obsessed with them. He has his rat czarina. But there was a video that showed two New York City rats sharing a donut in the subway, and they called it the rodent date. Uh, People don't realize that when we're in the subway, which is often, you actually feed the rats. Well, I mean, not, I don't make a point of doing it. Um, well, you know. I, I've seen you reach into your pocket. If you have a little extra pigeon food, it goes down into the tracks, and all of a sudden the rats are scurrying out, and they're like having, oh, it's like hummus to them. I mean, it's, it's more if I see one that looks, you know, a bit, uh, you know, injured or something's amiss with it. You know, I mean, I still feel bad for them. Now, as much as people fear rats, hate rats, like Eric Adams does, why is it that when a video comes out, like first the pizza rat and now the donut rat, they they're in they're endeared. They they like almost want to adopt the rat. What do you think it is in in the general public psyche that they can hate this animal so badly, rats? And yet they see them in a video hoisting a slice of pizza up the stairwell or sharing a donut with a female rat, and they're all for toots. They're all going cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I mean, I, I think part of it is the, the camaraderie of the shared space because if you do ride the subways, it is a wild world down there. So I think you just naturally have a, an affiliation for, for any creature you see is willing to go down there. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. I have a feeling Mayor Eric Adams would not be sharing a donut. Being a former cop, he probably likes donuts, but sharing any of his donuts with any of the rats. Our number is one 800 848 Nine two two two. Now, tell me about this. Adopt a New York City shelter pet for a lifetime of love. Uh, well, okay. So this was, I mean, okay. This was a an, an op-ed that was written by, sadly, the president um, of Animal Care and Control, and you know, like this little feel-good piece trying to tug on the heartstrings of New Yorkers to. Uh, you know, adopt a, a shelter pet. Now, obviously, yes, we want everyone to adopt the pets because we don't want them going to the shelter in the first place. But, I mean, just completely oblivious. And, again, this is uh, the person who's heading the animal care and control that's dropping all of the responsibilities that is being called out in this op-ed that she's writing. So October is adopt a shelter dog, uh, dog pet. 
So she's encouraging people. Now, at the same time, she's acknowledging um, it's difficult for people to afford the pets, but also one of the reasons why um, you know people have difficulty, especially in New York City, having dogs in the first place is because all of the regulations that go into preventing people from living in um, any sort of um, apartment with a dog. And then there's the limitations on the weight of the dog. So, for instance, all the NYCHA complexes, there's like a 25, I think it's 25-pound limit, which is why everyone who has any dog that's of any size, usually the pit bulls, they constantly are winding up in the shelters. So, you know, this sort of plea from animal care and control to adopt these dogs from the shelter, you know, is unfortunately it's, it's kind of sad because they should be much more proactive in making sure that people don't have to abandon them in the first place. I mean, she even went so far in in this op-ed to direct people who who can't hold on to their animals because of monetary reasons. Well, there's many welfare animal welfare organizations that um, offer partially and fully subsidized veterinary care. In other words, we don't do it. We're not willing to do it, and we won't tell you who it is, but go figure that out for yourself. Therein lies the problem. I mean, you're not putting the pieces together. And this is the person who represents animal, the head of animal care and control, so you can see why the animals in the shelter are in so much trouble. Well, it's a big week for you, Nancy, uh, the candidate you're working for, Kelly Klingman, who's running for city council in Astoria to unseat the socialist Tiffany Caban. It's a battle between the moderate, Kelly Klingman, and the socialist, Tiffany Caban. Uh, But an announcement will be made on the steps of City Hall. It's uh, Kelly Klingman and Robert Holden who have gotten the first ever uh, party lines for the Animal Welfare Party to be able to run for elective office. Uh, They'll be having a joint press conference. I know you'll be there. I'll be there. A number of other animal lovers will be there. And Bob Holden. Uh, who has been uh, proven to be like the number one animal lover in the entire city council, is proposing that there be legislation named after you called Nancy's Law, which talks about your idea of taking the unused retail space, the mom-and-pop shops that are empty, some of the larger retail spaces like the Dwayne Reeds that have closed, the Walgreens, the CVSs, the Rite Aids, and to actually put dogs and cats in the window to spur people to adopt because every day they'll be passing by. And, you know, it's like this song, How Much Is That Little Doggy in the Window? Could you tell us the origin of that and how simply an idea like that might actually uh, might actually end up helping to adopt all the unwanted dogs and cats that are filling up the animal care and control shelter system? I mean, well, I mean, certainly it starts with the idea of visibility, which the city shelter has none of in its few locations. They're completely not accessible. So it's hard for people to even see an animal in the first place. And if they were to see one online by the time they get there. So the idea of trying to increase visibility because of how quickly they're euthanizing them, then you couple that with the amount of space that's available the commercial space that's sitting vacant. So everybody who is now, you know, coming back to the city, everyone who's working here, I mean, you're walking past empty storefronts, which obviously is an eyesore, but you have the ability to showcase these animals. You have the ability to put them before the public. So all of these empty um, storefront windows, the same sort of, um, they can be getting a, a subsidy to be showcasing the animals. So the same way, for instance, that the pet stores now, 
they're you know they're trying to phase out um, having um, breeder pets, uh, you know, like uh, them selling those in the stores. But the ultimate um, sort of meeting in the middle is, well, we'll give you some time to phase that out. But then ultimately, we you know we'd like to have some ability to showcase some of the shelter pets there. That's long in coming. There's no reason to wait so long because every day they're euthanizing them. So again, this just puts together the most logical thing. You have to see the animal to be able to adopt it, to fall in love with an animal, to say, that's the one I want to take home. There's no ability for that to happen in the shelter. That's why they're euthanizing them left and right. Well, in your honor, uh, Robert Holden is proposing Nancy's Law that would provide the funding uh, to enable animal care and control to do exactly that so that it could make it very easy, much easier for the general public to end up adopting uh, unwanted dogs, unwanted cats, or those who have been surrendered into the shelters. And again, I can't say it enough. If you ever surrender your dog or your cat to a shelter, no. There's a relatively good chance if they can't find a home away from your home for that dog or cat, that they will destroy that animal. They will euthanize it. It it will no longer live. So think about that when you decide to surrender it, because they're not going to tell you that. They're not going to tell you that ultimately there may be a period of time in which they can't find somebody to adopt a cat or they can't find somebody to uh, take the cat temporarily, foster the cat. So they may have to kill the cat uh, or the dog, or whatever animal it is that you are sacrificing or you're uh, handing over to the shelter. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to the phones. A lot of phone calls, Nancy. All the way to Minnesota, to Chris. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Chris. Hello, Curtis, and hello, Nancy. I'm really pleased to be able to talk to you. Thank you for taking my call. And I appreciate what you do to help animals and all the things that, especially this uh, new law that might be coming out. That's fantastic. The the reason I'm calling uh, is to talk to you about uh, the deer hunting season in New York. Okay. And basically, uh, you know, I have a friend who's a retired composer and musician entertainer and she plays uh, music and she has deer on her property and the deer will actually come out of the woods to listen to the music and she's uh, the way the deer care for each other it's 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 an amazing thing and you were talking about australia and the yes. deer hunting uh, you know that goes on in australia uh, the hunting season in new york runs from september until the end of january that's almost five months and uh, they do gun and bow, and bow is quite cruel. And yeah. I'll tell you that most states are just November, you know, for their hunting seasons. And so how Australia has their exterminations, it seems like uh, in New York, with that kind of a season, it's more of an extermination rather than conservation. And I think it's in the name of reducing accidents and also, uh, well, I think you know, uh, I think say, Chris you know? will will just use the example, Nancy. Uh, although it's not New York, it's in Pennsylvania where your mom lives. Uh, you were telling me in your last visit the deer, the doe, they were coming right on up to the fence. Uh, it's almost like uh, they wanted to have a conversation with you, right? Yeah, I mean to, to 
you know, to start making the the distinction as though these are really wild, you know, again, this is where the overlap happens. They are more or less domesticated. They just have to live outside because their interaction with humans is so close. So this continual justification of, you know, culling or, you know, allowing them to be hunted, I mean, it's it really makes a lot less sense because it's not the same interaction people have with them anymore. But I think to your point, it has so much more to do with property damage. Oh, we don't want to inadvertently hit them. So to avoid property damage, they'll, they'll be willing to kill them. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. This is the Animal Welfare Edition, exclusive to WABC. Let's go to Giuseppe. Joey in Jericho, your turn to be heard, Joe. Curtis, God, Curtis, God bless you and Nancy. Christ Jesus loves you for what you're doing. Bottom line is, is that this is how we can save the dogs and cats and other animals. Joe Piscopo lost his beautiful dog Otis a month ago. Morning period should be over. Encourage him to go to ACAC just over the outer bridge of the Korean War Veterans Highway and adopt. And then once he does that, more people will come. Also, just down the block from there, let's give a shout out to the Richmond Valley Animal Practice. This is their 50th year. And the best there, they're all great, but the best is Dr. Lisa Esposito, God bless her, and Dr. Kristen Powell. He's not Italian, but he married a nice Italian girl who bore him three well, beautiful well, children. I'll tell you this, Joe. Um, our own Dominic Carter is still still sitting shiver, Nancy, for the loss of his uh, animal. Uh, there was more a family member and friend than it was an animal, Dolce. All I have to do is say Dolce, and he starts crying like a little bambino. I mean, it's, again, it, people obviously mourn for um, a while in different ways, um, you know, I always encourage people certainly to adopt again because I think that's the best way to fill your heart up with love again. Let's go to Joe calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Joe. Hello? Yes, Joe. Yeah, uh, to Paul question. Uh, the original uh, shooting of the buffalo uh, from the trains, they pretty much knocked out the vast majority of the population. But to me, that kind of represents the, like the people doing this were to me, psychopaths. And then another thing out West is I, I'm a little bit perplexed about wild horses that go from like, say the plains to the mountains in Montana, how they don't basically break their legs on those rocks. They're running fast on rocky plains going into the mountains. Uh, that perplexes me a little bit. Do you guys know anything about that? Nancy? Well, that, okay, that part I don't know about um, the, 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 the legs and how they're able to do that. But yeah, I mean, uh, again, right to your, to your point of just the, uh, the mass culling. It's interesting you mentioned the, um, the buffalo because I was reading something about that recently as well, and the people who they're saying, like, in spite of like a um, a decade, um, you know, like a century rather of trying to conserve the population, ultimately, they're I think they use a term like they're functionally extinct because the environment in which they live no longer exists, and I think that's kind of what's happening with a lot of these animals. There's so much overpopulation of people that the environment in which they normally would exist in 
is just so far between that even migration patterns can't happen. So humans are just getting in the way of the animals at this point. Well, remember at that time, the native Indians were totally dependent on what ancillary products they could derive from a buffalo. And here you had folks riding trains through those areas and just indiscriminately shooting buffalo and just leaving them there to rot, many of them uh, suffering a tortured death because they basically bled out and nobody really cared. They were just riding through, enjoying themselves, just killing buffalo randomly, uh, which made no sense whatsoever. And from time to time, there are different locations that conjure up those ideas. Let's just get a bunch of hunters together. Uh, let's let them go out and just shoot some, you know what, until yeah, they I mean, get... And with all the concern about all of these outbreaks of different COVID variants and these natural populations of animals where they're so willing to cull them at large, maybe we should be concerned about something that's happening that's just leaving bodies decaying. That could, that could cause a problem, I think. 1-800-848-9222. WABC. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. You know, we talked about uh, the effect the loss of uh, Dominic Carter's uh, friend Dolce uh, had on him. Some other callers have always talked about how their lives were uh, irreparably harmed when they lost their family member, uh, their little uh, furry friend. There's a story that I hope you can comment on. It was in, of all, all stories, a Dear Abby column where a woman was writing in who had been traumatized. She wrote to Dear Abby. And by the way, who is Dear Abby? Dear Abby must be about 200 years old at this point. My boyfriend won't touch me after his dog died. Uh, could you try to extrapolate on that, connect the dots? What, are the, what, are, what, was she, what was she meaning? Well, she was referring to, you know, more or less just a, a general, um, you know, decrease in, you know, this, this boyfriend who she was dating for like several years wanting to even like hold hands or anything. Like he just went into a state of depression almost following the passing of his dog. Now, some of the, the interesting part about this story was that even though they were dating for a few years, they live about an hour away and she, you know, and the dog obviously, you know, lived with him. So in a practical way, even though she was the closest person, you know, since most people do consider pets to be like their family, I mean, it would have to be the dog would have to be closer to him because, you know, he sees the dog every day. So I, I think that was, that's really like the level of depression. Like in a sense, he's probably lost his best friend. And, you know, the suggestion is, you know, a little bit like th there could be groups where, you know, you can talk through, um, you know, the loss of a pet. But again, I think that just makes a lot of sense. I mean, that would have to be your closest friend and you see them every day. So you are going to be depressed for a long time. And remember, it's National Cat Day. So uh, raise your paws up in <laughs> solidarity with your little kitties or your adult cats. Let's go to Stuart in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Stuart. Yeah, hi guys. Uh, I just wanted to make it clear. I heard you talk about cat poisoning. Uh, I do animal cruelty investigations, and I also have run an animal sanctuary. Just wanted to let you know that uh, 
in every state and District of Columbia, it's a crime to uh, poison cats. And there's no distinction between feral and domestic uh, statutorily. So uh, if there's uh, if people see that, they think there's nothing they could do. Uh, if you can uh, present the evidence, uh, it is a felony arrest in New York. Different levels in different states, but it's illegal in every state and the District of Columbia. It's not to you people to know that. Have you ever come across that, Stuart? Oh, I've, I've prosecuted many cases. I used to, I used to be uh, uh, the SPCA in New Jersey, and I've prosecuted many cases. And it's interesting because the biggest frustration, because I teach this also, one of the biggest frustrations was when an animal eats poison, they disappear. You'd never see the body. So what do you do? There's no body. If you could prove that that, cat, that uh, p- poison was put out in a fashion to attempt to poison an animal, that's called criminal attempt. And in New Jersey, it's a third-degree felony. So we used to get arrest warrants and arrest people for just attempting it. It's an indictable offense. And like I said, it's a, it's a crime in every state, but the crimes are graded differently. Some are low the misdemeanors, some are felony offenses which carry three to five years now, in prison in New Jersey. Now, when you dealt with these cases of people purposefully poisoning animals, was there one thing that was consistent in the people that were caught that you could say, ah, yep, you see, the same thing existed with this person, that person, that person who got caught poisoning animals? Yeah, uh, most of these people will objectify these animals. I'll see them. Almost like wildlife, because wildlife, uh, you know, there's animal cruelty applies to wildlife as well. It's not just domestic animals. And they're felony level offenses. And New Jersey has some of the best laws and it covers all the creation. Uh, and they see these animals very often as uh, uh, wildlife, you know, not owned. They objectify these animals. A lot of these people, a lot of them are just neighbors. Don't want their uh, precious bushes smelling. Uh, and a lot of them are just, uh, they just, uh, they're nasty. You know, nastiness, a, a cold heartedness, of course, poisoning is, it's a, it, like I said, it's cruel. And it, it, in, I think in 2000, I forgot the exact year, but it became a felony uh, to poison an animal. Have you seen anybody, Stuart, be given any kind of time for committing those kinds of crimes? Oh, yes. Yeah. When in, there's a certain uh, sentencing uh, guidelines that uh, the courts abide by, uh, like third degree felonies is presumed jail time. Anything less than that is presumed no jail time. However, it depends on your record. And like in any, any offense uh, uh, that you're convicted of, uh, you, uh, you, you, you are given a sentence according to uh, your previous record as well. So if you have previous convictions, not just of animal cruelty felonies, but felonies in general, uh, you can get jail time. I got a guy five years in state prison, not for poisoning, but for torturing animals uh, in New Jersey. It was a 2008 case. You look it up. Your, All my cases are on the internet. Has, has it been, um, you know, like equally prosecuted when it's uh, multiple versus one, like meaning that they sort of uh, start to minimize the amount of lives, even though it's like could be dozens? Yes, it, it kind of aggravates a case because it shows, you know, when when you see, a, like, this this uh, guy that uh, we got him, uh, like, I was an officer at the time. I wasn't, now I'm a private investigator, but I was an officer at the time. And uh, we got warrants and everything. And he, uh, he got five years in state prison. He had, like, uh, dozens of animals that he tortured and tormented. Uh, very often you will see one cat. It depends on the circumstance. The poisoning specifically, 
a lot of people pl- pl- uh, play ignorant. They say, oh, I didn't know yeah. I was trying to poison rats. You know, they, they make excuses, but uh, uh, they always, you know, the courts are, are funny also. Uh, they depend on, your, you know, your character and your previous behavior and things like that. I just bag them and tag them and just basically the court system is another story. That's a whole lecture by itself, yeah. which I'm very, very well versed on. Uh, there's felony cases that get what they call pretrial intervention. If you have a clean record, yeah. very often these lawyers will bargain, you know, like a, a probationary period where everything's dropped. Yep. But the third-degree felonies, uh, I, uh, I usually get what I what I need out of it. Well, certainly, you know, certainly do appreciate you sharing your knowledge with us, uh, Stuart. Can we get um, your information and contact you going forward? Yes, yes. I uh, may Ken do some work here that uh, – Think you think Ken could extricate himself from what he's doing and get Stewart's information so I can pass it on to Nancy? I hope you're not uh, you, you're not too disturbed, Ken. Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> yeah, this is the Frank Morano crew. It's like it's like pulling teeth. The Mameluke. Anyway, let's go to Carl in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Carl. Stories for you. Uh, one one thing the, uh, the the first thing I, I remember reading something years ago about in uh, France or one of the countries over there that they had decided to kill all these uh, feral animals, all these cats that are outside, and they say that that is actually what caused the bubonic plague because the cats used to take care of the the mice and the rats, and uh, being that there was nobody there to uh, that they took, they killed them all. That that actually pr- promoted the bubonic plague, which killed half the population of uh, Europe at that time. That's just that's just one story. No, no, that and is true. Gotta... Uh, that is true. The yeah. oldest pope who was ever uh, uh, elected into office. His first thing is he came and he issued an edict uh, to observant uh, Roman Catholics that they were to go out and kill feral cats for whatever reason, and they uh-huh. did. He followed his edict, and you're right. Well, exactly yeah. what happened. The rat population quadrupled, and then the fleas started to bite the people, and the bubonic plague wiped out millions. Right, as I say, just, so just leave things alone sometimes. Another another fast story about uh, animal. Years ago, I, you, I did some radio work in San Francisco. And I got a part-time or a job in the Midwest, uh, and I packed up everything I had. And uh, just be, a week before I got the job, I was uh, making a phone call at one of the outside phone booths. And uh, there was a little cat that kept going around my legs and just kept wandering around. And around. I asked the guy in the gas station, I said, is your cat or anything? I said, he said, no. I said, if you want to take her home. But this is a, a week before I had gotten the job. So when I got the job offer, I took the cat with me. I had a little small MG. And I packed him in a little box, as in the, and he's in the car with me. And I'm driving cross-country. I get to Wayne, Nebraska, and I go to get the job. And uh, this was in the hippie days, the 69, 70s. And the guys took one look at me. It was a small uh, mom-and-pop operation in the middle of a cornfield. And he says, you know, son, I don't, I don't think you're going to work out over here. It's a small little college town, and uh, I'll give you a week's pay, but I, I can't do anything for you. So here I am, smack in the middle of the United States. It's starting to get, it's starting to get, November, it was starting to get, uh, the snow was coming. I was afraid of going back to uh, California. So I just said, uh, so I decided to come home. I, was, I live in Jersey. And uh, <laughs> I jump in the car, 
and uh, I'm driving, and I'm just stopping like at the, the roadside places for a cup of coffee, piece of pie. So I was young then, just all I had. To... So I get to the border of Pennsylvania, and um, just as I get there, the uh, it's like three o'clock in the morning. I said, "Gee, it's only another couple hours." I, I lived up in Newark, New Jersey. I said, I'll, I'll, "I think I'm just going to push through." But unfortunately, without the maps or the, all the uh, the equipment they have now, you can find out where you are. Uh, I turned the wrong way, and I'm heading down towards the Amish country in the middle of the night, three, four o'clock in the morning. So as I'm going, I'm, I'm starting to nod off, and I'm starting to sleep. And meanwhile, this little cat, like uh, he, uh, who I had in the box right next to me, who had never made a sound, <laughs> starts meowing like crazy. And as he's meowing, I, I, you know, I jolted up. It was right near my ear because the, the car was small. And not even two arms lengths from the car, it was a big 18-wheeler with dice. I remember seeing the chrome hubcaps of the thing. If it wasn't for that cat meowing, I would have been uh, a roadkill. Wow. So I say, you, never know, you, you never know when a, an animal is going to save your life because they do. They, they, they're special, special things. Oh, wow. What a great story on National Cat Day. I think I hear all of our cats applauding. <laughs> applauding their colleague there, their peer, saved the guy's life. He'd have been turned into a speed bump on that asphalt. I mean, I've seen the results of when an 18-wheel tractor trailer smashes into a car for whatever reason. Uh, it's not pretty. Not pretty at all. Wow, that is, that is a great story. Great story. Absolutely. Yeah, Matt Blaze, you were nodding your head like, oh, well, you're going to get to the point. The guy had to set up the story. That, that's great radio. Theater of the mind, you're painting pictures. You, you're you used to that Mama Luke Frank Morano, you know, who goes, really? Uh, and then he's on to the next caller. Let's go to Mario from Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mario. Hey, Curtis, how are you? Uh, you're doing a great job. You and Nancy and... Uh... I tried reaching you for a, a, a rescue through your email, but I uh, never got through, never got no response from you. I called you on your uh, number at uh, the Guardian Angels, couldn't get through. I live down the block from uh, Mr. William uh, Robert Holden, and uh, I got some cats here that need some help. They're injured, they got no shelter. I try to give them as much food as I can give them. Well, I'll tell you what, Mario, because we have uh, the Stunad here at the ready, uh, we're going to get your information. Ken, make sure you take good care of Mario. I don't want him striking out, you know, three times and you're out. He tried on the email. He tried on the phone number. And now, uh, Nancy, we really got to make good on this guy. We got to. Okay, so we will be in the area soon, so we'll check it out then. Absolutely. Let's go to Jay, the natty boy in Cincinnati. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jay. Excellent show, Curtis, on cats. I love them to death. They're wonderful companions, but dogs are excellent, too. When I was a kid, I had an invisible friend, and my dad didn't like that, so he got me a Great Dane to take its place. A Great Dane? Yes. What did you have to do? Deliver two paper routes a day to feed the Great Dane? You know, the morning edition and then the p.m. edition? Everybody who still remembers that dog, they come up to me occasionally now that I'm I'm kind of old geezer now. They remember that dog and me too. But uh, it definitely uh, put a memorable, very memorable. 
Now, the dog. Great Dane, I had a dog that was uh, mixed, Shepherd and Great Dane, smart. Uh, was your Great Dane smart? Because sometimes an animal is big like a horse, and they're not necessarily all that smart. Uh, it was a female. She was, she was intelligent. Uh, my dad actually bred her. We had papers on her, and uh, we drove back east with a U-Haul trailer and sold the puppies to go to the World's Fair in 1964 so it financed our way to the world's fair her puppies and uh, you enjoyed coming to flushing meadow park for our world's fair thoroughly enjoyed it i stayed in new hyde park with my grandparents and my mom was from valley stream oh wow i was in new hyde park uh, earlier on saturday they're closing the diner there it's like breaking my heart i always would stop and have a cup of coffee at the diner there but thanks, Jay. Thanks for sharing the memories. And to everybody out there who couldn't go to Huntington on Friday night, I'm glad I slept out there. Nancy, I know you had a lot of work. You couldn't uh, join me. What a great two-man show. Bill O'Reilly and Sid Rosenberg were in the re, uh, refurbished uh, Paramount Theater there. It's magnificent. Uh, they didn't talk any politics. It exceeded expectations. They were talking about how they were born and raised and where they grew up and uh, who had an influence in their life. And I got to tell you, uh, just like Jay was telling us that story about his great Dane and the impact it had on his life. Oh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I hope they filmed that two-man show of uh, Bill O'Reilly and Sid Rosenberg, and we can share it with all of you at WABCradio.com. But if not... Uh, I've actually taken the liberty to discuss it with our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, that he should do these kind of shows in theaters throughout the tri-state area because there are so many where our WABC listeners are, including out near where your mom is, where there are more deer than people, Nancy. Yes, there, there certainly are more deer than people out there. Now, if anybody needs to get in touch with you, I'll be bringing these two contacts that you requested uh, from tonight's calls but if anybody else out there needs to get in touch with you because maybe they're reaching out to the wrong email or the wrong phone number, how exactly do they get in touch with you about animal welfare issues? Well, you know what? You can actually uh, DM me on Twitter. So Nancy Sliwa, Esquire, ESQ. So you can send me a direct message there. Um, and then also the Nancy at Guardian Angels. So I'll make sure that I'm checking that thing. But DM me on Twitter, Nancy Sliwa Esquire, and I'm on that pretty much all the time. All right. We'll continue to enjoy the last hour <laughs> of National Cat Day with all of our cats that you have rescued, that you have kept alive, who would have, if you didn't run there at the last minute, an animal care and control for the city of New York, they would have been destroyed. They would have been euthanized, would have been killed. Enjoy the, the last hour and let them know. I'll be coming home to extend that party till the break of dawn. I will let them know. All right. And coming up, oh, yeah, I got a lot of questions for this man. Dominic Carter, my buddy. Eric Adams wants to uh, play Monty Hall. Let's make a deal. Um, if you're an illegal alien, we'll fly you to wherever you want to go. Like Maui out there, you can be with Oprah. You could be with The Rock. You could be with Obama. One way. Or he can give you a tent, a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout tent, and you can find a park near you and have your own poop tent. Or he can put you in one of these massive tents 
that they built there in Floyd Bennett Field that apparently they never checked to see if it was going to be protected from potential fires. And that may be another notch on my belt when the fire marshals shut it down. But let's wait till the apologist for Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan. Mayor of the illegal aliens, Dominic Carter, comes in the house. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.